Hello. Hey. Hi, Stacy. How you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm all right. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. My name is Stacey Mayfels. Um, I'm a baseball writer, a fiction writer, um, a, a writer in general, and um, I've just published a book called Baseball Life Advice. Congratulations on that, actually. <laughs> Thank you so much. And as well, your I, I know it was, I think, a week ago, your 100th edition of your newsletter, Baseball Life Advice. That's correct. I can't believe I've spent so much of my life writing that newsletter. But when you think about it, like, have you been doing that every week for the past two years now? Um, almost every week. I, there's been some times where I've taken some time off in the off season, mm -hmm. um, or just some time off in general. But yeah, it's it's been two years um, since I think March 2015 was when it started. Maybe May 2015. I don't remember the exact date, but yeah, it was a, a exactly a hundred newsletters last week. That's amazing. That must feel like. Like that number 100 sort of stands out. Yeah, I, I mean, it's an interesting milestone because it doesn't really mean anything. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just an interesting way to sort of quantify, you know, that I've written. Because each of them are about 1,000 to 1,200 words long. So yeah. um, I know that I've written 100,000 words on baseball feelings. So. <laughs> that basically, yeah, that's amazing. I, I wanted to ask you, how did you get into writing? Oh, in general? Yeah. Um, I don't really know. I, I mean, it was something that I did when I was a kid, and okay. uh, you know, I I always sort of gravitated towards books and and English and um, the arts in general. So it was something that was always a part of my life. Mm -hmm. um, it was definitely my interest was definitely in fiction first. Um, you know, I was one of these teenagers that you know just ate up novels and was always asking my teachers for for book recommendations and. Um, I studied English literature in university, and okay. um, so you know I always wanted to write a novel. That was kind of that was kind of my my goal. And then when I was in my twenties, I kind of um, late twenties kind of stumbled into nonfiction writing, and um, that's where most of my focus is now. Um, yeah, and you know after that, I stumbled into sports writing, which is something I really love now. I I can't remember how I stumbled upon your writing, uh, but I was actually surprised and shocked that you wrote things other than baseball. Um, I I thought you were like a baseball writer, and I'm and I was thinking, why isn't she in the Toronto Star? Why isn't she writing for the Globe and Mail or or uh, or, or Sportsnet? Um, but you you're just recent to the game in terms of writing about it. Is that right? Yeah, I started writing about baseball in about uh, 20, I want to say 2012, end of 2011, 2012. Um, it, was, uh, it, it was mostly because um, the Jays acquired R.A. Dickey as a player. Uh -huh. And um, that, you know, I'd written some stuff before then, but that was when, you know, I... I think that, you know, a lot of the reason why I write is to sort of figure out how I feel about something. Hmm. And there was just something really compelling about him as a player and as an athlete. So um, I started writing about, you know, him joining the team and 
um, eventually I got to interview him and, you know, it, it just was really the starting point of, of my love affair with writing about this game. Um, you know, I'd written some nonfiction before that, um, you know, some articles, some essays, but, um, around that time was when I really threw myself into sports writing and tried to learn as much about it as I possibly could. What, what was it about R.A. Dickey? He's, you know, I, I didn't know much about him when the Jays traded for him. I knew that he was a Cy Young Award winner. I knew he was a knuckleballer. Um, and that's all I knew at the time. But then sort of, you know, as he, as he came here, you, you found out about, you know, him going to Africa with his whole family uh, during the off season, and, you know, just doing a, you know, he seemed to be, to hold... Um, you know, community service in, in very high regard. But you know, I'm, I'm just curious, what sort of attracted you to uh, to him as, as a player and as a personality? Um, I, I mean, his personal story is sort of um, not a very common one in terms of what's celebrated in sports. Mm -hmm. um, he had a very slow rise to the Cy Young, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are moments in his career where it sort of felt like, he, he wasn't going to be a big league pitcher, right? So um, he had sort of a, a humility uh, in his personality and a not, I mean, not that I object to people being confident, but it, yeah. his, his story is just so um, unique and compelling. And, you know, when I did get an opportunity to interview him, he's just such a warm and genuine person. Um, and it sort of kind of exploded my ideas of what, um, you know, sports culture is, you know, he sort of falls out of the stereotypes of what, um, what sport, sports culture is and how it works. And it just, he was the kind of player who, who was able to make people feel um, that they were welcome in a culture that can feel really exclusionary. Hmm. Interesting. You, he, he wrote the, the foreword of your book? He did. Yes. Um, what what was that like when you know I'm so, I don't know if we, whether you asked him or your publisher like how does that work and and what did that mean to you? Um, I it, I mean it was it was one of those things I'd interviewed him a couple of times and I just decided to you know take the risk and ask and um, you know as long as the timing worked he he said he'd do it um, and it was it was interesting because it was around um, you know it was we were sort of looking at going to the postseason, right? So yeah. um, it, was, it was sort of hard to give him a, you know, an October deadline. Um, but yeah, no, it, it worked out that, you know, some time passed and then he sent me, sent it to me in an email. And when I opened it and I read it, I just burst into tears because oh. it it's really beautiful and it's really moving. And it's about, you know, his relationship to um, this game and the feelings he has around it. Um, it's really it's very candid and it's, it's, it, you know, it, it is very much in the spirit of the book. Um, so it meant a great deal to me that he, he would take the time to do it. The, the, the full title of your book, Stacy, Baseball Life Advice, Loving the Game That Saved Me. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk about that. Like, well, well, first of all, let me ask you, like, did it save your life? How did it save your life? Like, how, why, why is that the, the subtitle? Um, well, the, as the story goes, um, in 2011, I was diagnosed with depression, hmm. um, and I was having a really hard time um, caring about anything. Really, that, you know, that's what that's part of what depression does to you. Is it? Hmm. It sort of, you know, 
pulls away the things you care about. And I have this sort of vivid memory of uh, watching the postseason in 2011 and, and uh, realizing that it was something I cared about. And, you know, at, at the time, that was a big deal. And so I just kind of followed this thing that mattered to me. You know, I'd been a casual fan of the game for most of my life, but, but this was sort of a love, a, a greater love that sort of developed into an obsessive love. <laughs> so um, baseball kind of accompanied me in my recovery um, mm-hmm. from mental health issues, and it gave me something to to care about. I mean, that's the simplest way yeah. to talk about it. It, it you know, it, I often say it could have been anything. It could have been film. It could have been music. But for me in particular, it was just um, the beauty in the game, its structure, the way it was always there. I mean, you know, nothing is as frequent as baseball. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it feels like it's on all the time. And um, so, yeah, I just, uh, it, it was really compelling to me. And I feel like um, because I devoted myself to it in some ways, it, it, in return, it saved my life and it helped me get better. Were you, were you always a baseball fan? Like, was it sort of low-hanging fruit for you? Um, yeah, I've, I, you know, I've been, I, I was a big fan in my teens and when I was a kid. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it, it was a game I shared with my dad. Um, in my 20s, I sort of drifted away from it a bit. Um, you know, I'd go to games in the summer, and um, but I wasn't sort of, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't name you know, every guy on the roster, you know, and, but, you know, in my thirties, I came back to it and, um, it sort of, it, it, you know, came to me in a time I really needed it. Mm -hmm. I I almost have the same sort of story about, uh, leaving baseball. I mean, you know, as a kid, you know, I remember, uh, the Toronto star used to have, uh, sort of like a pool that you could join. And I remember picking all of the blue Jays and, and mailing in my submission and, and just following that, and then you know going to university sort of fell out of it. Uh, you know, outside of the Jays going into the World Series after that, but then my brother moved back uh, back to Canada, and his love of baseball sort of brought me back uh, to the game. So that's really interesting how you talked about you sort of left the game and came back to it. Um, I want I want to ask you a, a, a bunch of stuff, but I'm I'm really curious. You know, as 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 a writer, um, do do you remember? Um, you know, we, we talk about these milestones, you know, the 100th uh, newsletter, um, 100,000 words. Do, do you remember your first uh, piece that you got paid for? I do, actually. Um, it was, I think I was just out of university, and um, I published a piece of fiction in a literary journal. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a huge deal at the time. And I, you know, I still have the issue, and I, um, you know, I kind thinking about it now it wasn't a quality piece of writing but (laughs) (laughs) definitely um it you know it mattered it it mattered a great deal to be published and I think I think they actually it took them like two years to pay me or something oh my goodness (laughs) but but it wasn't really the point right it was sure um yeah it's 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 interesting that when you're a writer you know you have these goals and then you know you achieve them and and you know, I often sort of think that you think that you're going to achieve them and then your life will change, you yeah. know, and you will feel differently. But, you know, at the end, it's it's sort of just the act of writing that's that's important. Ah. You know, not so much these these sort of milestones that you check off. Sure. Um, in terms of, 
you know, fe females in sports journalism and journalism in general. Um, you know, I've, I've spoken to to a number of um, women in in media uh, on this podcast, um, and, and I want to ask you a question. I, I, I tend to ask them, um, you know, a, as as a woman, you know, in journalism, and then specifically writing about sports, well, which you do often, um, you know, whether it's on, on on Twitter or or your newsletter or your books. Um, do you experience um, sort of more online hate? You feel because you're a woman, you know, whether it's the comments that you know you don't know, you don't play that sort of thing, and 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 if so, like how do you deal with it? Um, I mean, I think you know I write about this quite a bit in the book. Um, I think sports culture is is a very exclusionary culture. It it can be a very sexist culture, um, mm -hmm. and I think that women do face um, quite a bit of viciousness. In, in that realm, and I've certainly experienced it. Um, and, you know, I think that there's no right or wrong way to deal with it. I think that when we make these blanket statements in terms of how women should react to um, that kind of viciousness, um, it, it's just not helpful, right? You know, when people are like, oh, you should ignore it, or, mm -hmm. you know, you shouldn't read the comments, or, you know, people have these sort of prescriptive ways we're supposed to deal with it and still do our jobs. I think that that's, that's actually not helpful. That's so robotic, um, right? Well, and it, I mean, it also doesn't really address the problem, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly, um, exactly. And I think it's totally... Um, you know, there, there's this idea that, you know, you have to develop a thick skin to be able to do this job. And I and I sort of, you know, a lot of times I rail against that idea because I don't I don't think that we should lose our sensitivity um, to be able to write about sports. Like, I think it's important to be sensitive. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that it's OK to step back. And I, you know, so often the, the narrative is that you have to be tough and you have to throw yourself into it. And I don't, I think that, you know, it's all about finding something that, finding a way of doing this, this job that works for you. Um, and also, I mean, it's not the responsibility of, of women journalists to dismantle the hatred that they've received, right? Of it's, course, yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's a very complicated issue and I don't, I don't have, easy solutions for it and I don't I sadly don't see it changing anytime soon um, but I you know I feel like it, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer to how to deal with it do you th like what would need in your opinion what would need to happen uh, I don't know you're right like I you know I, we don't see it changing anytime soon um, but but is there something that needs to happen for it to change empathy <laughs> like I just um I I think that you know I I don't I don't actually have like we all need to grow up is, is what we're saying right? I I mean I I I think there's a part of me that would like the editors take more responsibility for the well-being of their writers um mm. I know that some venues absolutely do um but I know some do not so you know that that is a you know there there's sort of this weird kind of um, the, the hatefulness can be profitable, right? So, uh. um, I, which is, I think, is a reality we don't talk about a lot. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm always buoyed when I hear that, um, you know, editors are 
are looking out for their writers and having conversations with their writers about their online safety and comfort. Um, I think that's a, a good thing. Um, but no, I, I mean, I don't have answers and believe me, I've thought about it a great deal. Sure. Um, journalism in general, it's, it's, um, you know, whether it, it, you know, whether we're talking about things like newspapers or, um, you know, online forums or blogs or websites, uh, so much has changed in, in such a short period of time. Um, what's, I, I know you're writing for Jay's Journal. Um, Jay's Nation. Jay's Nation. I'm sorry, Jay's Journal. Jay's Nation. <laughs> um, as, as well as The Athletic. Um, yeah. what, what, what's the difference between, and, and specifically The Athletic, um, you know, what's the difference between, you know, writing, uh, you know, when, when you started uh, to, to today? Um, I mean, from where I sit, it's not really that much different. Like <laughs> you, you, you do, you do the best you can. You do mm-hmm. good work. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because with Jay's Nation, I write weekly, so um, the the tone tends to be different. It tends to be lighter and and more um, more topical and um, sort of more quick reaction. Whereas with the athletic, I'm writing monthly, so they they tend to be you know longer form, um, more reflective pieces. Like I you know, but so far I've done interviews for them, um, which were not you know not scrum interviews or beat type interviews, but you know sat down with someone, had a conversation with them. Nice. Um, but yeah, no, it it obviously varies from venue to venue, but at the end of the day, like it's it's just writing, right? <laughs> so you're Fair. just kind of. Um, depending on the, you know, depending on the venue, depending on the subject matter, depending on the frequency in which you write, it, it shifts a little bit, but, you know, it all sort of generally stays the same. Do you find there's more places for you to write or less places? Um, I, I don't know. I, that's, I mean, I think that there are definitely more venues than they have than there has ever been and mm-hmm. more opportunities but I also think that there's you know a lot more people writing in that space yeah um you know the the sports writing world is quite crowded with voices um which is not a bad thing at all like I think the more voices we have the more diversity we have and the better it is um but yeah I mean I think I think there's obviously you know the proliferation of online writing means that people have more room um, to experiment with content and, and what kind of writing they're doing, right? So um, I think that there's definitely room for more voices and more styles of writing, and I think that's a really positive thing. Yeah. Um, you know, at, at one point, like, sports writing was just the Daily Beat stuff, right, the newspaper stuff. Sure. Um, or, like, a huge, long profile in Sports Illustrated <laughs> and not much in between. So. Mm. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of exciting things happening in online sports writing and, um, you know, there's great stuff every day. Um, you know, it's hard to get through it all, really. I, I'm really curious because uh, I'm huge fans of, um, uh, of their podcast. Uh, but how is it like, and I don't know whether you uh, deal with them quite often when you write on, on the website, but how is it dealing with people like Andrew Stoughton and, and Drew Fairservice? Um. I, I mean, I don't deal with Drew at, at Jay's Nation. He's not with Jay's Nation. But um, it, it's uh, Andrew is is 
actually kind of lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know his, and he'll probably hate me for saying this, but um, <laughs> I know his online persona is a bit curmudgeon-y, but yeah. um, all of my, like, you know, I write for him once a week, and we back and forth a little bit, and he's just, like, wonderful and supportive and accommodating and um, you know, he's been wonderful. You know, he invited me on board and he's been really supportive of my writing. And so it's kind of funny that that's sort of the behind the scenes, Andrew, I know. Yeah. Um, it's funny because my relationship with them initially is that I listen to their podcast every week. Um, so when I was actually invited to be on the podcast, it was a little surreal. Um, because <laughs> I spent like, you know, years listening to them banter. Yeah. Um, and I always kind of enjoyed the tone of their conversations because like, like Drew is just so well informed, not to take anything away from him. No, Andy, he is so Drew, smart. Yeah. It's amazing. Like how much knowledge Drew retains, like he can just call things up and yes, I know that they're sitting at laptops, but at the same time, it's just, it's astounding the things he knows. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, to be on the podcast and have him also just be, you know, an incredible host was, it was just really fun. I, you know, I really enjoyed, I mean, I, I mean, I think our approaches to the game and our personalities are very different. Um, you know, I tend to be a lot more emotive and positive and, you know, all around less curmudgeon-y, but, yeah. um, but I really do enjoy their thoughts and their perspectives. And um, I think like a lot of the reason why, um, I, I mean, they were part of the reason I wanted to be involved in this community and write awesome. um, in a lot of ways was because they they are a different voice, right? They're not the standard Sportsnet voice or the Globe and Mail voice, but um, they've you know they've made room for themselves and yeah um, and they are you know they're still white dudes, but they, <laughs> but they discuss they discuss issues and they're willing to talk about things and. And I appreciate that. That's enough. true. That's true. And, and, and yeah, they both bring up that stuff. And um, I, I don't know what the issue was, but when, when I heard them, um, you, know, you, know, you know, whether it is talking about racism in sports or uh, what John Gibbons, you know, said about dresses or Kevin Pillar mm-hmm. or, or what, and I, it, I sort of really, really uh, appreciated that, um, you know, because I, I was attracted to the entertainment of their podcast uh, back when they were both with The Score. Um, and loved Drew's writing when he used to interview players and figure out their approach to baseball. Um, but when I heard them, you know, sort of talk about social issues, you know, in relationship to baseball um, and the stands that they took, I really, really appreciated it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm curious, you know, I know Andrew hates the wave. Um, <laughs> what's, what's, what are your thoughts on, on the wave um, it's, it's, I dislike the wave a great deal, but I also, I also acknowledge that, you know, part of the disliking of the wave is irrational. You yeah. know, I, I mean, I don't appreciate the wave, um, during important game moments. Like I just, I just find that so <laughs> it's a distraction paying yeah. attention to the game, yeah. but I, I also understand that being angry at the wave is, it makes you a bit of a, like shaking your fist at the sky kind of person. So. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I, I want to ask about some stuff in, in baseball and, and your thoughts on it. Um, it, it, and they still talk about Bautista's bat flip. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm not a writer by any stretch of the imagination, but I, you know, I, I jotted down my thoughts on, on my blog, 
um, about you know the emotion and um, the the culture, the cultural background, and and how all of this comes into play. Um, you, you know, what what were your thoughts, and and what are your thoughts on not you know whether specifically about the bat flip or whether it's about um, you know celebrating in the moment in sports. I just think it's bananas that people don't want bat flips. I don't, like, I just can't wrap my head around this idea that people would prefer it, that, you know, players don't celebrate their achievements. I don't, I've never really understood it. I, you know, and, you know, people can say I haven't played the game and I don't understand, you know, the unwritten rules of baseball. Um, But I, like, what joyous, beautiful moments those bat flip moments are right Mm -hmm. and you know it doesn't just apply to hitters it applies to pitchers you know it's I just love exuberance and I love watching players rejoice so and you know I understand there's a very important cultural conversation to have around this that I'm probably not qualified to to have but Mm -hmm. um, there you know there's an obvious undercurrent of playing the game the right way and um, that is a huge problem. Yeah. Um, but you know, at at on a on a lighter note, like you know, if if the MLB is so concerned about attracting a younger audience, um, I think exuberance is the way to go. <laughs> sure. It's a, it's an entirely more entertaining game when Jose Batista flips his bat, right? Absolutely, absolutely, especially when he gets walked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love his bat flip when he gets walked. It's just hilarious. I really enjoyed that one recently where we were down like by a bunch of runs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flipped anyway. Like, yeah, yeah. I just was like, you know what? Thank you for that. <laughs> um, I, I appreciated that. As as somebody who's watching their team lose, I always appreciate a poorly placed bat flip. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. Um, I, I want to ask you about um, you know separating the athlete from the person. Um, you know, so whether it is, you know, to me, um, you know, Tom and Jerry will always be the, the sound of summer. Um, and it was a huge loss when, when, when we all lost Tom, but, um, you know, whether it's Jerry Howarth, uh, back when Jose Reyes was playing with the Jays, you know, complaining about, you know, Jose Reyes' smile when he made a mistake or the way that he played was quote unquote, like in, in a playground or whether it's John Gibbons, um, you know, talking about, you know, playing in dresses or Kevin Pillar's anti-Gaysler. Um, you're a huge baseball fan. You're, I would say, an even bigger Blue Jays fan. How do you separate um, the athlete or the personality from the person? Um, you know, people have asked me this question before and um, I don't have a very good answer for this you know mm. I'll be honest about that I you know the best I could come up with is to have you know to be a responsible fan you know to be somebody who um, acknowledges that we don't know these people and mm-hmm. we don't you know we love them and we love seeing them win and we love all of these great moments um, but at the end of the day you should going into your fandom, you should acknowledge that um, these things will happen, you know, that when you when you cheer for a bunch of men you don't know, mm-hmm. inevitably there are going to be disappointments. 
um, and that you have to take responsibility for that. That's sort of the, um, that's the contract you make when you enter into fandom, right? That this knowledge that these men you love because they play a game you love um, can very easily let you down yeah, and let the community down. Um, so, I mean, I think it's just always having that awareness, even in your joyful moments and your celebratory moments, knowing that um, they are human beings. And just as human beings can totally impress you, they can also disappoint. Yeah. So do you find it harder to cheer like the next day for someone like a Kevin Pillar? Um, that's a heavy question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, my, my opinions on Kevin Pillar, um, were, were institu- institutional, you know, it, okay. it, it had it for me, it had to do with, um, why did Kevin Pillar feel like it was okay to use that word? Hmm. And obviously he needs to take responsibility and he is, you know, an adult and he needs to, um, take responsibility for what he's done and not blame a system. I'm not saying that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I thought it was important to take a step back and say, what is it about this culture that, that he felt that that was an appropriate word to use in that moment? Yeah. You know, there were a million other words he could have used. Sure. To express his anger and his disdain for what was going on. But he chose that one. Um, and that, to me, spoke of, of a cultural problem and a systemic problem. And um, my fundamental question was, you know, why are is, are the Blue Jays not better at um, – why don't they have a Pride Day? You know, why don't they – you know, why – like, it, it felt to me that it was important for them to – for there to be institutional responsibility um, and obviously individual responsibility. But, you know, at the end of the day, like you can't just isolate the player, punish the player and say that's the end of the discussion. Yeah. If close to or maybe even over at this point, 50 percent of um, the MLB has a pride night um, and that it that it's been very effective in. in inviting people into the ballpark, like the the Oakland A's have an incredible Pride Night, um, and you know a lot of people I've talked to have said it's been huge for that community. Um, I think that you know if it's if it's something that's becoming MLB status quo, why are the Jays lagging behind? Hmm. I think that's you know sort of my point. And the Jays had one at at one point, and they abandoned it. So why do they have a country day? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is true. Um, you, you, you reminded me of something when, when you said you were a woman. Not that I didn't know that. But your, your thoughts, cause, and I don't know whether you wrote about it, but I remember hearing somebody talk or write about um, baseball gear for women. You know, sort of, you know, when you go to the stadium and you buy your hat or your jersey and... I remember somebody having a problem with why is women's gear, why is it pink? Why does it have to be pink? Why does it have to be frilly? Um, why does it have to be quote-unquote sexy? Um, do you do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, it's, it, it, I wrote a whole piece on it. Oh, book. okay. Maybe it was you then. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, no. It's, um, it, I, I feel like the, the problem with things like that and theme nights, you know, theme nights that are geared towards women is that it, they tend to market to sort of this one dimensional idea of, of who women are. Mm-hmm. Um, so women like pink, they like sequins. 
Um, they drink wine, they wear feather boas, and they don't know anything about baseball. And that's kind of the the portrait that, you know, MLB events, you know, put forth. So I think the problem is less about, you know, the connection between women in pink and hmm. the idea that that's the only version of femininity that, that is put forward, right? And, you know, not even feminine, just the only version of women that's put forward, right? Uh. So I think that... Yeah, I just think a lot of um, a lot of women who love baseball find that the way they're marketed to is very limiting. So true. Um, does your husband like watching baseball yet? <laughs> he will. He will definitely watch baseball with me. Yeah. He's not watching. Okay, good. When? Because I remember you writing about that. He, you know, he, was it he wasn't a fan or he didn't stay up late? Well, I don't know what that was, but um, but now he is. Um, he was not a baseball fan. He was not a sports fan when okay. we got married. And, um, yeah, we, uh, there was, it was sort of a, a long road to him, um, appreciating the game. And he sort of, his inroad was Deanna Navarro. Um, uh, so yeah, I remember became, that. He became a fan of Deanna Navarro, um, before he became a baseball fan, I think would be the accurate way of putting that. What was it about, uh, him that he... That, that attracted him to, to baseball or, or to him specifically? Um, I don't know. I think he just thought that he was really down to earth and okay. he like a nice guy and yeah. and he just appreciated him and, you know, the kinds of things he said and, you know, he was an animal lover and um, he he just he, he just seemed like an attractive personality and my husband became a fan. There you go. Um, speaking about animal lover, you, you've got this fascination with baseball players or athletes and, and, and pets, more specifically dogs, I think. Um, yeah. What, what, where did that come from and what's that all about? I just think I really like dogs okay. and I really like baseball. I don't think it's actually really that complicated. Okay, um, fair enough. I just seem to get really, really excited whenever there's dogs at a ballpark or a baseball player with a dog. And, okay. Um, it was really funny. Recently, I interviewed Brett Laurie and yes. I... I had to ask him about his puppy. Like he'd just gotten this German Shepherd puppy. Mm-hmm. And and it was it was a really funny moment because, you know, Brett Laurie had been he'd been doing so many interviews in Toronto about, you know, his his status. He's not currently with a team and, you know, people were asking him hard questions. And I just asked him about his puppy and he just lit up. Yeah. <laughs> it, was like, it was just a really nice I don't know, I, I think that um I mean I don't want to get too serious about it, but sure. I just I think that the relationship that athletes have with their animals is actually pretty adorable because okay. you know it's a difficult lifestyle and yeah, um, you know I imagine that it's it's hard to know sometimes who's on your side and mm. I think David Price said some things about Astro his dog Astro about like you go home and there's somebody who's always happy to see you no matter how you did that day and I just find that so endearing. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't think it's particularly deep. I just think like okay. I have a dog. I love dogs. You know, baseball do, players are great. Dogs are great. There you go. Do Do you know do do their do do athletes travel with their dogs, specifically baseball players? Um, I don't know. I, I'm not entirely sure, but I have definitely seen photos of like Justin Verlander on a plane with his dog. Okay. <laughs> um, I know that Tanaka actually booked a plane for his dog. Um, oh my! So, I, I think that there are definitely stories of, of players traveling with their dogs. Yeah. Okay. 
I, I read somewhere, Stacy, that you're now uh, writing a, a memoir. Is that true? Um, I'm taking a break right now. Okay. Um, just because sure. you know it's been a lot with uh, um, with the book and where me and Pashamala are. Um, we edited Best Canadian Sports Writing, so yep. we're launching that in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there. You know, I am working on another book um, that is there is a draft that exists and it's taking shape. So, um, but I think that I have some time. (laughs) Uh, Well, I I think you do because you're, you're not necessarily an old woman that you need to be writing a memoir. (laughs) Well, yeah. You have lots of time, I think. Um, you've, you've been to many stadiums. Um, I, I know recently, I don't know if it was last year you went to, was it California to catch a bunch of games? Um, um, yeah, that was a couple years ago, okay. California. Um, uh, your favorite stadium? Yeah, that was 2015. My favorite stadium? Yeah. Oh, that's hard. Not um, necessarily on the West Coast, but like really anywhere. Oh, I really liked Comerica a great deal. I really enjoyed Tiger, the Tiger Stadium. Okay. Um, I really loved the fans. Um, the Oakland A Stadium. It was, um, oh. it's, I mean, it's not the prettiest ballpark in the world. In fact, it could be argued it's the least pretty. Um, mm-hmm. But the fans there were so incredible. It was, it was the best fan experience I've ever had. Um, but yeah, in terms of, it, it's amazing that the ballpark in Lakeland, the Tigers spring training ballpark, they've mm-hmm. just, um, they've just sort of upgraded it a bit. And it was just spectacular. It's such a beautiful place. Um, wow. And I really like the Phillies ballpark and at spring training as well. Um, okay. That one is just gorgeous. I, I really do like it. I find the small spring training ballparks really endearing. Um, they're just, you know, they're just, like, so charming. It sounds so hokey for me to say that. but They must be um, very intimate, I guess. They're very intimate, and yeah. I, I just do, really do like that atmosphere. I like the whole spring training atmosphere. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like every ballpark has its own charm. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I enjoyed the White Sox Stadium. Um, obviously, you know, Fenway and Wrigley were amazing ah, um, in yeah. in their specific ways. But I mean, I just want to do them all. And, sure. <laughs> and then tell you. Nice. Fair enough. We'll do that. We'll make sure we'll book. We'll book you in after you've visited them all. <laughs> Give me like twenty more years. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I remember going to uh, old Yankee Stadium uh, a, a few years back with my brother and sister, um, and we actually caught a Jays game. I think it was over the, the a May long weekend or or something like that. Um, and you know, going into you know visiting New York for the first time. Uh, going to the Bronx and then going, sitting up in the nosebleeds in left field. Um, we, you know, wearing our Jays jerseys, thinking that we were going to get heckled, beer was going to get thrown at us. Um, but we were pleasantly surprised how nice uh, fans were uh, up in that part of the stadium, or, or just, I guess, Yankees fans in general. Uh, it was just an amazing experience. We, we we learned. I don't know if you know this game, Stacy. This mound or ground game. Do you know this game? The fans play sometimes. No, no. Basically, end end of the half inning, the umpire has a brand new baseball, and he tosses it towards the mound. Um, so if it stays on the mound, <laughs> the, yeah. the the person who's got the cup with all of the dollar bills or the loonies wins 
um, winds, um, and if it if it rolls off the mound, then you pass the cup over, and everybody puts another dollar into the cup. Um, so we so we learned this game, and we played this game at Yankee Stadium, and my sister won like 50, 60 bucks. Um, and the Yankees fans were so happy that somebody from Toronto um, won, you know, this, this mound or ground game. So I will forever uh, not think that American fans are rude, specifically New York fans. It was just an amazing uh, experience. Yeah, I, I have to say I've never really had an experience where somebody has been awful to me because I'm a Jays fan. Yeah. You know, when I've been visiting, I've had, you know, I've had good experiences um, with fans at every ballpark I've visited, I think, um, you know, there's, there's been some moments where, you know, there's been some drunk guys or whatever, but, um, there's never been like that, that idea that, you know, you're going to be heckled or harassed because you're supporting another team. That's not something I've, I've experienced. Um, in fact, I feel like my experience at Yankee Stadium was one of them, you know, was up there in terms of how lovely everybody was. Yeah. Um, you know, I went to I went to uh, Yankee Stadium on opening day and they were playing the Jays and um, wow. everybody was just really like nice and and oh, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> so, I, I, I went... also find Yankee Stadium is very chill and like it's almost as if like the Yan- the Yankee fans are so confident in how <laughs> their team has been that they have no need to act out in any way. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. I went there with my son and wife last year to see the Jays just get throttled by the Yankees. Um, and you're right; it's like you don't. I don't. It's weird. You have these perceptions in in Canada of of New York or or of New Yorkers and stuff, but. Um, you know, I was recently in New York for work a, a few weeks ago, and uh, as big that as that city is, and as many problems as it might have, um, you know, outside of Toronto, there's no city I feel more comfortable and safe than in New York City. It's amazing. Um, yeah, it's it's it uh, like that was. I mean, Yankee Stadium was the ballpark. Yeah. There's a essay in the book that it was the ballpark I went to alone. So. Um, yeah you know, one of the ballparks I went to alone and it was just like an amazing experience. Everybody was friendly and, um, and it's, I mean, it has so much history. Um, like the franchise has so much sure. history that, you know, it's baseball, right? So it's, it's an incredible experience. Nice. Um, do you have a favorite baseball city? I know you like Oakland. Is, is that your favorite city for baseball? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't, I don't actually think I'm that kind of fan. Okay. I think, um, I, you know, I went to a game with my dad yesterday, and, and we were having dinner beforehand, and he's just like, I feel like you just love baseball. <laughs> um, there's no, like, there's no real hierarchy for me. Like, it's, it's obviously, it's great to have a team to cheer for. That's important. Yeah. And um, there are teams every season that I have more interest in than others. Like, I'm really into the Nationals this season. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, but in the end, like, I just, I love baseball and i love the stories like every year there's a great story like aaron judge for example right oh my goodness it's you know it's it's just every year there's something um and so i don't i don't think i'm big on on picking favorites i'm just i just like to see how it plays out and i don't have any like real animosities either (laughs) you know i'm i don't like you know there was a time where i would have said i I didn't like the Red Sox, right? Um, in a rival way, but yeah, 
there's so many players on that team that I admire and players that I have admired. It's hard for me to just blanket say I don't like the Red Sox, you know. Um, obviously, I want the Jays to win. Yeah. <laughs> but I can also really enjoy the different stories that play out on other teams. So. That's so true. Uh, you must have a favorite Blue Jay all time. All time favorite Blue Jay is Devon White. Okay. What was it? What, um, what was which, it about him? Um, well, I was there for the catch. So ah, that, yes. That was sort of a life changing moment for me. Um, you know, I was a Kelly Gruber fan too because I think, you know, a lot of us were. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and I, it's funny because I sort of deep dived into his his career the other day, and you know, was remembering that he was the first Jay to hit for the cycle, and yeah. he hit an in the fog home run at Exhibition Place. Like it's, it's just bananas. Um, but yeah, no, I. Um, I, I actually feel like I don't have a favorite Jay currently, which is which is weird. Um, Adam Lind was my favorite player for a really long time, and he sort of he he fit my personality really well. Um, okay. And I've sort of bounced around since. I you know, obviously I'm a huge Jose Batista defender. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really having a lot of feelings about Smoke right now. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just. Uh, I don't know. It's it's. I haven't committed fully. <laughs> Fair enough. Last question, very deep one. Um, Jays didn't do well last night. Um, I was there. I yeah. Was <laughs> there. Uh, I I got a notification on my on my watch that they're down two nothing currently. Oh yeah. See, it's because I'm not watching. Because you're not watching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what 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 is it, Stacy, about the Tampa Bay Rays and the Jays? I, I think last year they did well against them, but it seems to be. What is it? Is is it, is it the water? Is it is it their logo that the Jays don't like? They they never seem to have an easy time with this team. I don't I don't know honestly. I can't answer that question. <laughs> um, the just, curse the curse of Longoria. I think it is. I just I feel like I. You know, April was really hard. Oh, um, yes. It was very demoralizing. May was really upbeat. June has been, uh, you know. Um, I still feel like this team has a shot at a wild card. Mm-hmm. Um, I think th- I think that the Yankees are going to take the East. Um, I hate to say that, but I think that that's, that looks like it's going to be the reality. Um but I also think that there's so much great baseball ahead. Sure. And I think we're going to make it to 500. <laughs> Sometime soon, right? <laughs> Sometimes. I think we're going to make it to 500 before the All-Star break, and that's sort of the standard, right? Yeah, yeah. You can make it there. You can. So I, you know, I have a lot of hope. Mm. I always have a lot of hope. That's kind of my thing. Stacy, thanks so much for your time. Oh, no problem. It was great. Lots of fun.